This week on Sean Murray's International Film Festival, I have Dan Rice and Stasha Makita on to talk about The Many Saints of Newark, the brand new Sopranos movie on HBO Max. Let's do it. Oh! One take, Jake! And by one take, I mean 17th take, Jacob. Ah, that's gotta be good. Oh, I'm really excited about this flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. Silence your cell phones now. Oh, welcome to the Sean Murray International Film Festival. I am your host, Sean Murray, live at Bad Bad Studios, downtown New Haven. And uh, I'm here with my guests, Stash Makita and Dan Rice, to my oldest oh, friends in comedy. There we go. Tomato sauce. <laughs> That's right, Gabagoo. And a Gabagoo to you, sir. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the new, The Many Saints of Newark, the new, um, the new Sopranos movie uh, that came out. Uh, this past week on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to have you two on because you are two of the biggest Sopranos fans that I know, and definitely like uh, you have the most kind of knowledge of the series as far as anyone I know. And um, absolutely, I got my noodles and gravy right here. Ready? <laughs> I got uh, I got some orange juice. I got a fridge full of various deli meats that I'm going to be snacking on right out of the fridge throughout the record. Yeah, I've I've always tried to keep an emergency noodles and gravy in my center console of my car just in case like uh, <laughs> something comes up. I like that that you mentioned orange juice. Is that just so you could drop it on the floor in the middle of a panic attack? Because otherwise, not very not very Italian. <laughs> yeah, just I, my, I, my girlfriend keyed me into this, and we've both been obsessed ever since. There's orange juice on every episode of The Sopranos. Someone <laughs> drinks orange juice. I don't know why. We've harped on that, but <laughs> just adds a nice pop of color. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. If you're playing a drinking game. Drink every time they play. Or- they drink orange juice. One of the best moments of the series as a black person is when um, Tony gets uh, has that panic attack because he sees Uncle Ben's face on a box of rice and he's like, "They're oh, even yeah. in my house." <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to know because I'm sure it's a bigger list of your worst moments to watch as a black man. <laughs> I mean, pretty much every other moment of The Sopranos as a, like, is, is is agony. It's like, why? This is very good, but should I be enjoying this? Why do these guys hate me so much? <laughs> why are they blaming all their crimes on us? We have nothing to do with that. Um, no, yeah, so uh, I guess before we get into talking to the movie, I just want to talk about uh, you guys, The Sopranos fandom. Like, how... Like, were, did you... You guys are older than me, um, so like, did you were you watching Sopranos when it first aired, or did it come to it later? Uh, either one of you can start. I'll let you go first, Mister Rice. <laughs> I, so I jumped in as it was airing, probably around season three. Mm-hmm. I think I used to go over uh, my sister's place every week, and we'd kind of have a watch party. Um, and then I've I've rewatched it from start to finish, like at least three times since then. And it's also one of those shows where, like, if you're bored and don't know what to watch, you can just kind of cherry pick your favorite episodes. I'll do that a lot. Yeah. What about you, Sash? Uh, oh, go ahead, Dan. No, I had nothing, really. Oh, great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> just getting some excess air out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I watched it along as it, as it was going on. I used to, every Sunday night. Uh, I would drive to East Haven, huge Italian town where my buddy Mike lived. 
he's the guy I buy my Chinese vitamins from. But me and him <laughs> would watch uh, Sopranos every Sunday as it was going on and laugh because like all the cartoons on that show were like all the cartoons that were around in East Haven. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we I was I was, I never personally I never really watched uh I didn't I didn't start watching the Sopranos until maybe two years ago. I mean obviously I knew it was like one of those like great shows. Like I remember the Sopranos phenomenon as a kid, but like it wasn't important to me. One because like I mean when it first aired was it ninety nine? I was six, so I was not gonna be watching it anyway. We also didn't have HBO. That's the perfect age, in my opinion, yeah, to get on board. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, as a black person, for sure, to learn about racism oh, that yeah. early, oh, so yeah. that way, like, nothing anyone else could say could hurt this me. This is what yeah. you're up against. Yeah. Watch, watch out for these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Stay away. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you'd always hear, like, you know, I was familiar with, like, the the big, all the hoopla over the Sopranos uh, finale. And, um, and then, you know, as I got into, like, Super into movies and TV, you know, Sopranos became more important as a thing I should watch. And I was I was a big Mad Men. We're all big Mad Men fans. And um Mad Men Boys. Th- yes, the Mad Men Boys. You guys want to sing the theme song real quick? Yes. Dan, Dan could you uh lead us into <clears throat> the, 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 the Mad, Mad Men? Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men. These are the men and they are mad as hell, bitch. Oh, <laughs> but um, it's better every time. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite theme songs. Uh, so finding out, becoming a fan of uh, Mad Men, and finding out that uh, Matt Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, got his start, um, on The Sopranos, and was kind of like a David Chase acolyte. Was um, gave me more reason to want to watch it. And uh, but honestly, the way like like East Haven type of people like. Sopranos fans, like Italians, yeah, treated Sopranos is one of the reasons I didn't want to watch it. It's like it's just like, is this just these guys? Sure. And it's like it wasn't until yeah, it's a huge turnoff. But <laughs> well, then it's funny because then once you watch the show, it's it's hilarious to see that that's what so many people got from it because they're making fun of that type of behavior. Yes. Like in like, yeah. Almost all absolutely. of the show is like like these guys are idiots. Like this lifestyle is stupid. The way these people behave is stupid. These are, like you said, they're cartoons. It's straight up spaghetti face. Yeah, and uh, so it's so funny that like this, this, these are the lessons that so many people got. It was like, let's act like this, and it's like, <laughs> no, you are the joke. Paulie Walnuts is not like a stand-up like guy you would look you look up to. Like you know, Chris Moltisanti, even Tony is like he's an idiot. They're all idiots. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's insane that anyone could watch that and come away thinking, like. That this is a hagiography of these people, like these this are culture. Anyone to model your behavior after, because the show is an indictment of their behavior, and like they get their comeuppance all the time, constantly Constant comeuppance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, e- like even their. I'm the I'm the Pauly in my friend group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think there's guys out there that that decide which soprano they are, like women do with Sex in the City? Oh, Absolutely. I, I know there are. I've <laughs> seen it happen. IRL. <laughs> like there's a Samantha and a Christopher out there somewhere married right now, just being annoying memes at each other. <laughs> I'm the Ralphie Cifaretto <laughs> of my friend group. <laughs> oh, imagine claiming that. The horse-killing whore killer. <laughs> horse-killing whore killer. Um, <laughs> Dan just spiked the audio. Um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's you know, so, um, that was always like a, a big turnoff for me for a number of years, and then I, I finally started watching it, and uh, it was it was great. Like it was really, it was everything kind of everything those people are not. It's had a huge resurgence recently, specifically with people like your age, Sean. Like out of nowhere, everyone's watching The Sopranos again. Like now. Well, yeah, I think part of it is the movie, and I think a, a part of it is like uh, I was reading this article on, on this very thing. Uh, actually um earlier this week and it talks about a lot about like part of it was like a lot of sopranos memes started popping up around like 2019 2020 and then like like sometimes with memes you just kind of just like you just internalize like i get the context of this without ever having seen the actual thing but a lot of the the soprano stuff was like it is um enticing entices you to actually watch the shows like oh i want to get a little bit more of the context of this yeah i was reading too that uh some of it they think has to do with the fact that because it's about in a lot of ways like the decline of the american dream and like the end times are coming and now that we're in the end times it just makes it more relevant again to younger people yeah because that's so much what about the sopranos like is about is about like um kind of tony's philosophy like that he's at the end of this thing and like it used to be great and now it's not yeah that's like that's like the opening theme of the show. He says that episode one. Like, yeah, I think I got in at the very end. Yeah, and they use it as like a like a metaphor for just like the American way of life in general. Absolutely, yeah. It's like the 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 fall of the empire in a way, yes. and like like this they, is the microcosm they, of they that. Do, they do such a good job on that show of showing like how small their world really is. Like they never most of the people on the show never leave like the same five mile radius and even tony who's like at the very top is only worth like like four million dollars i think yeah so, you know like it's it's all like we, we you know you look at like the godfather or even goodfellas and you have this really grandiose idea of the mafia and in real life it's all like just scrambling for fucking peanuts no a lot of these dudes are out there killing people for like what a fifteen programmer makes yeah you know like <laughs> the yearly income is like what a guy who who went to a uh, computer science got a computer science degree makes well that's that's another thing that's so good about the sopranos is that it like completely de-glamorizes their lifestyle like and like you know a lot of people like a lot of criticism of a lot of gangster movies specifically scorsese movies is that and this is a wrong read of this was that like oh they glamorize that lifestyle even though all those characters always ultimately get their come up come up in two but at the height of it, it all seems so fun, and I'm sure it is. But in Sopranos, like it never, like you said, there's never like um, it's never like Tony sitting on a mountain of cash, like snorting a giant pile of cocaine. It's like it, they're even their wins are like so minor, and they yeah. have to go through like there's so much bureaucracy within the um the hierarchy of the the mafia, which you would you wouldn't expect. It's like I can't kill like you would think like Tony could just whack anybody, you know, because yeah. he's the boss. It's like, no, a lot of it is like, you know, you actually that guy could spit in your mother's face and you would have to have a conversation with me about if you could kill him and how you could go about doing it because that's our rules. And sit downs and taxes and penalties and things like that. Yeah, and it's like so many of those people like um like like Tony lives in that mansion, but Christopher lives in like a, a regular ass apartment. Like, and like he had to work his way up. Very, like, that's as a captain, he's in that apartment. You know what I mean? Like, he's, and then the, the the two guys under Christopher in season two, those two idiot meatheads, they're like roommates, and they've got like their laundry strewn everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just living this completely disheveled lifestyle. Yeah, so that's one of the things that's really um, uh, appealing 
to me about the show. Um, but yeah, going back to the decline of America uh, or the decline of like the, we're at the end of this thing. I think that's a good jumping point, jump um, jump off point to get into talking about the movie because this movie is set in largely in the uh, '70s and it's set during that period of time that Tony kind of uh, uh, like idolizes of that period of like when he thought it was good like yes. when his uncle Dicky was at the you know like in you know the older members of his family were running things and this is the time where he thinks it was great and even then it felt like a lot of those people it's funny that even then I'm sure Dicky and those like I mean they kind of say it in the movie that they thought that this is they they weren't at the top um they weren't in the heyday either yeah exactly but they dress that in the season 1 of the the actual show too it's like when like that throwaway line of just like Probably every generation thinks that about the one before. Yeah, we. You, I mean, especially as a kid, yeah. you know, which we, Tony would have been and was during that period of time. You're only seeing snippets of it. You, you like you wouldn't be seeing those behind the uh, blind closed doors meetings about why you can't do this and that. You're gonna like. I'm sure like um, people like like Jackie Jr. on the show kind of looked at Tony and them as like, oh, you guys got it great. And it's like, no, we don't think we have it great. We thought they used to have it great. And that dude just continue back throughout um, throughout history. Yeah, but- that's just, that's so relatable. Like, I, I can totally relate to that in my personal life where, like, you know, I look at the people I kill and I'm like, you know, this is not as good as, like, when my dad killed people. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. My dad was the real murderer. <laughs> he made a killing, killing people. <laughs> and, like, you know, everyone, the grass is always greener, you know? And the blood is always redder. Blood is always redder. Yes, the blood is always redder. <laughs> Twenty-five years ago, um, and the gabagool is always fatty. Greasier, kind of <laughs> pinkish. <laughs> yeah. What an overrated meat that really got way too much shine because of this show. <laughs> Wait, that's that. It's that, and it's also it's just a fu- it's a fun word to say. Yeah, that's the whole reason it like surged. Yeah, because it's, it's fun to say that. Yeah, yeah it, I'll fuck with some prosciutto. Gobble it's gobble. okay. Yeah, I remember when I first found out like that was just like, which is a lot of uh, a joke on the show often uh, too, is that um, this is just American Italians just saying this word wrong. Yes, like it's this. This is not like <laughs> I was like, oh, there is no such thing as gabagoo. Because it's, it's kind of like um, they they grew up bastardizing words that their parents and grandparents knew. Yeah. Like their grandparents knew Italian. Most of these guys never bothered to learn it. Um, and can't tell what they're saying is wrong. So, like, an actual, like in the episode where they Refurium. go to Italy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was and the best ones. Yeah. One Hands of the down. greatest episodes because actual <laughs> Italians cannot believe how, like, crass yeah, and like, stupid these people are. What yeah. is this gravy? <laughs> what does this mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. gravies? <laughs> Macaroni and gravy. It's so dumb. A capiatore. <laughs> Um, like a captain, that's respect. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you, what do you, what are you guys' like general thoughts on the movie? Like, uh... um, I got the many saints of New. That's one tag. Uh, I got <laughs> <laughs> the many lames of Newark. Okay. And those are uh, and those are the two the best many ones you got. Saints of Boo-work. I like that. Uh, that I'm actually right. on a, I'm gonna fa- I'm a fan of that one. <laughs> it also fits because this is uh this is October, so we could uh that's a good way to market that for this <laughs> this month is uh the spookiest the spookiest uh, Soprano many story of New York recap <laughs> you will ever hear. Um, I give it a B minus. 
I don't know. I thought it was pretty underwhelming, and a lot of it was like, why is this here? <laughs> well, that was like when I first... Does that make sense? Yeah. When Absolutely. I first saw it in our group chat, the first thing I said was, I don't know why that was made, but I really liked it. <laughs> and then I, I watched it again to prepare for this podcast, and whereas the first time, like a bunch of things I like, I noticed the second time there was a bunch of things that drove me absolutely insane. I've I've had that experience with a number of movies. This movie specifically, I had the, the similar feeling as you. Uh, I didn't like it as much as you on the first watch, but my feeling was like this is just totally inessential. Like that was my my like like it like to to jump back in this well. It, it really felt like, especially because of the uh, reputation. Uh, Sopranos has has gained over the years is like um maybe maybe the best television show ever created like it, at least in the argument for the like one of the most important uh especially um for this current TV landscape like it created basically yeah. every sort of the the model of TV shows for the mo- um for the day from comedies to dramas but also like the modern like anti-hero drama is totally uh beholden to what the Sopranos created and then the the writers who studied under david chase on this show went on to create to make incredible things yeah deadwood madman and the list goes Uh, on boardwalk empire yeah so i i'll say this about the movie it does answer one of the show's most haunting lingering mysteries which is what's the deal with harold mcbrayer uh definitely the most mysterious character on the show he's never mentioned once yeah he's never but it, seen but, but the, like the so specter of like, his presence yeah like you can always like, every yeah. episode like like the like he casts a shadow over all of uh the events totally, totally. and uh, so you just kind of in tune his presence while watching the sopranos and you want more yeah so it's, this, this movie definitely delivers on it's that. a pleasure to finally get to like really experience like you know um the Sopranos through his eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, that's what I'm so, so I, I feel like it's inessential. It, it doesn't really like. It doesn't really an- like. It's supposed to like answer some questions from the series that you know weren't answered. But it doesn't really like. There weren't too many lingering questions for me in the Sopranos. At the, at the end of the Sopranos, really, like I feel like it, it really said everything. Other than the the big big one, which it does not touch. Yeah, which the, is the, like the very end. Yeah, exactly. But even then, it's like um that's intentional in the sense of like it's about like. Ultimately, at the end of the Sopranos is really just saying like, um, whether he dies or not, this guy's life sucks. Like it, it, it'll never be good yeah, again. He's, he's always gonna have to over yeah, over his shoulder for the rest of his that, life that, at, yeah. at best. That ending was so great to me. And like you said, whether he dies or not is inconsequential. I'm still firmly in the ca- camp that he does. But what that scene does is <laughs> like it puts you in his shoes. So if there was anyone who did glamorize this while the show was going on, the very ending of it should be so blatantly, like, make you not glamorize this at all. Yeah, it's like, the this final... is what it's like to be this guy. Every single door opening, every person that walks behind you, everything is a fucking panic attack. Yeah, it's the final punctuation on, like, what the, the, the kind of core themes of the show. It's like, mm. this life is not glamorous. It's nothing is fun about this. And at the at very end, even at, at the top, yeah, the best you can hope for. This is supposed to be a great moment for him. He's reconnecting with his family after all those troubles. They're all in the same place. And all he could think about during that whole scene is that he could get murdered Yeah, the next second. guy to come through the door might be the guy to come blow your brains out in yeah. front of everyone yeah <laughs> you can't even enjoy getting ice cream with your family without like you know 
worrying about this. And you and he's at the top. You know what I mean? He's probably at the at the very least he's on the cusp of another goddamn panic attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So no, no matter how you read it, it's like this. This is this is awful. So anyway, I didn't really have too many lingering questions uh, after as the show ended, and I didn't feel like um, even like there is. Dicky Moltisanti is 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 brought up uh, on a few occasions throughout the show. Like he is like kind of like Tony's kind of um, touch point for like that period of time. Like he 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 uh, he idolizes him, but I, I never really felt like okay. Yeah, I need at to... one point Christopher says like he was to Tony what Tony is to me. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, there was that that, that great of... moment in season five or six or that great episode I should say, where Tony tells Christopher. That this cop at that uh, retirement party uh, killed his father or whatever, and they leave that ambiguous because you don't know if Tony just needs this guy killed for some reason, or or what. So that question did always linger with me, and one of the things that I loved about this ending was that in true Sopranos form, the question of who killed Dicky Moltisanti and why. Oh man, that was bad. My alarm went off. I was right in the middle of that too. I was gearing up, but um, yes. I thought you were cueing yourself some like a music drop for whatever the <laughs> fuck you were about to say. Like the big music drop at the end of the movie, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but oh like, God. yeah, brutal. <laughs> but how, how modern was that? A thousand percent? Thousand one? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, go ahead, Stas. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So the question of who killed Dicky Moltisanti and why. In true Sopranos uh, fashion, the answer was buy an idiot and over something trivial, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. just is so perfect to me. I, I, I love that part of it. What I didn't like. I do like that reveal. The way they went about it was ham-fisted. It was tacked onto the end. But, like, that is something that legitimately, like, yup, that fits right into June's character. Are you getting sucked like into that, the matrix? That. Yeah, you just got you just got fucking like pulled into a vortex, dude. Uh I think the uh, Sorry, I got I got bugged uh, earlier. Yeah, by some agents. Yeah, that's Sorry that was that. the feds listening in. Um <laughs> Yeah, you just say that just say that line again. You were saying um I just like I like the reveal. I don't necessarily like the way it was presented in the movie. It felt kind of throated and ham-fisted, but the reveal that Uncle June uh was behind Dickie Moldsani's murder does fit right into his character and does kind of add depth to the relationship between Tony and Uncle June on the show. Yeah, and um like Uncle June gets jealous of Dickie very early in the episode because he's like you know shown to Junior as like the example of somebody who's doing it right. Yeah, they they kind of make a point to even like um um was it Twenty five is name Johnny. Yeah, and he, his, his, he makes a point. He said like, yeah, like he looks up to. He doesn't look up to you. He looks up to fucking. Yeah, yeah. and and even the scene where where Johnny Soprano says, when you talk to him, he just gets confused. He only <laughs> yeah. listens to Dicky. And and Johnny <laughs> says something to him about uh, uh, Dicky being a, a good example too. So we know from the show that Junior's jealousy is like, in every situation, his downfall. Like he's. That's that's basically his biggest character trait is how he's completely jealous. He's jealous of Tony. He's jealous with anyone who's got any power. Um, so yeah, I th- I think pettiness. So just I think pure yeah. pettiness. all of those things as elements within the movie work. What I think is ultimately this movie should have been a, a miniseries because the, yeah. the 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 value of mm. um 
any sort of reveal you ever got in The Sopranos, any sort of um, character exploration, is that you got to explore the, the traits of these people over long periods of time so you get fully in-depth like pictures of who they are. So Because yeah. so, the Uncle June thing, it kind of does feel tacked on, even though they do make um, earlier references to like, they make a point to show even before he falls down the steps and that's like the final straw. Um, that you know there is a jealousy brewing between them, but in the end, that it doesn't feel like enough when he um, when like he laughed at you for falling, so that's the reason. Like it, it very, it very much feels like uh, it, it, and it does feel um, it, what, what Sasha's saying like this is for a dumb reason by an idiot, but it doesn't feel earned when it's like um, like if in in a better movie or in a miniseries, it would feel like the culmination of this thing. So when it finally happens, you're like. Oh, of course, but also like, damn, that kind of sucks. I didn't really feel anything when that happened. It was just like, okay, that makes sense. But another also, big uh, missed opportunity is when uh, his back hurts. And he you're you're can't you're matrixing out again, dude. Or whatever. <laughs> that, that his his back hold hurts. On, hold, on, hold, hold on, say it again. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Jude, he's trying to fuck his goobar. Right? Yes. His back hurts. He can't do it. What a great opportunity to show the origin of Uncle June eating the pussy. pussy thing. Yes. But they don't do it. <laughs> yeah, there's so many kind of like little, like, I don't want to say so many, but there's a few moments where it's like, this is a callback to something that happened in the series or whatever, and we're going to kind of make a point of it. That is the perfect thing because that is so essential to the understanding of Uncle June as a character. It's like, you can see, like, because that would even lend itself even more to, um, like, the pettiness and the ugliness of June, uh, Uncle Junior as a character in total. It's like, like people making fun of him um, eating pussy. That's what turns him into, like, this kind of, part of what turns him into this crotchety curmudgeonly old man yeah. who um who's like who has no joy in his life really because like even his friends like the one thing that he does he, he like which should be like kind of um uh looked fondly upon is like they're making fun of him for it like so it lends itself to it and, like that's the things that they do explore aren't explored enough and the things that they leave unexplored I, or be, I always be congratulate my uncle on <laughs> here's the we <laughs> celebrate it a lot yeah, my family. I I, I send them my uncle a, a a Hallmark card every few months and just say like, man, thanks for being a good role model. Thanks for eating all that pussy. And, and <laughs> here's the other big miss about this not being uh like an eight episode miniseries, is like that riot is so ripe for exploration. Like you could do like a Wire season four type of thing mm -hmm. where you have like. Mm two or three characters from this uh, uh, from the riot that you're exploring while the storyline is going on with the gangsters. Um, and just there's an entire community in upheaval, and it's only in the background of it, this. It, 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 it doesn't really feel like it's... It, it, I mean, in, in, in minor ways, it affects the, the plot of the story. I want to say minor, but like it doesn't really feel like, like um, the heat of the riot really brings itself to the it, front doors it of the doesn't characters. It create the tension exactly. that it, it should. It sets it up like it's like it's going to, and then it just kind of peters Yeah, you out. can't have that at the center of your movie and then not really have it, like, really boil over in any way. Like, I mean, it, it literally, the riots boil over, but it never feels like it, it, it's at the front door of, like, Dickie or any of the, um, the Italian characters. And that's another ultimate problem with the movie and why it should have been a miniseries is that, like you were saying, you were, making, you were joking about Harold McBrayer, but it's like, like... One, Harry McBrayer is not a character in The Sopranos. <laughs> Two, 
no black character ever gets any sort of justice. And I feel like this is sort of an attempt to do it as a makeup for that. But it's like, who's Harold? The black guy, um, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, <laughs> I thought his name was Hiram. No. No, that's, that also, that, that's a different thing. <laughs> that shit that you made up. Like, for, forget why that story exists. Like, it's kind of lame that they're telling this story that you don't give a shit about with this character you've never heard of before. But not only do they do that, that story does not fucking conclude. It does not have an ending. Yeah. Yeah, and ultimately <laughs> like, what happens is, they, like, when, when they go pull up on, um, when um, Joey Diaz's character gets his brains blown out and then uh, there's that shootout, like... Uh, Dicky shoots through the wall. Harold uh, sees him through the hole. They look at each other, and then they kind of just walk away. And then that's kind of the end of yeah, that. Yeah, like setting up for a third act that doesn't exist. Yeah, because then at the <laughs> end, in the in the credits, there's that scene where Harold like moves into the black neighborhood. But one, like it's it's just like it doesn't feel like like I should like maybe the, maybe some like if if you were a fan of Harold. You should, you should be celebrating that moment, or if you're like a fan of like Dicky and his crew, you should be like, damn, this shit sucks. No one feels anything. It's just like, kind of like it's just kind of tacked, like you said, tacked on. So many things. It's like this is like three different stories. Because well, he's, he's getting a spinoff series. Is he? Yeah, that's why I thought his name was Hiram because I thought that's what they called him in that in the uh, the article I read about how uh, David Chase um, is supposed to get a, a mini series. So is this whole about movie him. just like a kickoff for a new series? I hope that not. feels cheap. <laughs> that's my issue. Is I mean, it's it's, it's three... better than the reverse of like the Marvel putting out these unnecessary series as a, a kickoff to a movie. Well, it's like the reverse. And I want to. We're going to talk about that in a second about like setting up like series leading into a movie. But what I want to talk about is um, right now. It's just kind of finishing finishing this point. Is this is kind of three movies, right? <clears throat> this is the story of how Mike um, Michael Gandolfini. Um, Tony Soprano, like, gets into this life. This is the story of Dickie Moltisanti's, like, kind of demise. And this is this Harold McBrayer story that has kind of, is uh, tangentially related to this, but it kind of has nothing to do with it, ultimately. And, like, another reason why it would have served better as a series is because you can fully, which is, again, the strength of The Sopranos is you can explore all these threads. And when something like this comes up, when a Tony Blondetto shows up, when a Ralph Cifaretto uh, shows up, all these kind of ancillary characters... Their their lives are explored in depth enough, and you're with them long enough so then when whenever whatever happens to them, whether they're killed, whether they disappear, whether <clears throat> they have a conflict with the main characters, it really feels important and essential. And you like you feel like you've learned something, and and the story is improved by that. I don't feel any of that in this movie. Like it's just kind of like okay, this riot is happening, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Harold's there, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Um, okay, Tony. I think, I think the the whole thing is like the riot, Harold. Uh, like everything is like a possible red herring because the thing that you're supposed to care about is who kills Dicky in the end because uh, as we as the story unfolds and we realize this is the story of Dicky, you start to realize that oh this is gonna be the story of how he got murdered. So every time somebody was on screen, I'm wondering in my head like is this gonna be the guy who gets so even though like that scene where they they have the shootout at the bar or whatever. It seems like it's setting up a third act that's not happening. I think the the point of that was to be like, oh, is this where Dickie gets it? Yeah, but here's the thing, and 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 you say that was a lingering question for you. That was not a lingering question for me. Like, I, like I, and I thought it worked because because it going unanswered in the series whether um that cop that the retired cop that uh Tony had Chris Christopher kill actually killed his father was 
a perfect representation of the power that Tony has over Chris. Where he's yeah. like, because you weren't around for any of this shit, I could tell you this, and it could be totally untrue, and you would never, you don't have enough knowledge to question me on it. And also, your position underneath me in this hierarchy makes you um, kind of, even though I'm not ordering a hit, the way I framed it, <clears throat> makes it seem like you're doing this for you. You might just be doing this for me, and you'll never know. I think that's the value of it. Obviously, Chris... It was a lingering question for me, but I see Sean's point a lot, especially when you consider the fact that Tony did murder Chris. So why are we so hung up on, like, yeah, but did he lie to him? Yeah, yeah. It's like... it's like <laughs> I expect him... He fucking killed him. He clearly... I mean, he lies through him. And not he... a good guy to Chris. Yeah, and it's... it's <laughs> and also, like, the movie, like... And again, even if... The red herring thing, I think, is a good point. I just don't think it's effective within the movie, and I think it could be more effective if these things were like. Th there's they, they. It's been talked about that David Chase um, kind of mandated that the movie be two two hours exactly, like no really no longer than two hours, and I think the movie should have been longer to kind of like the again the power of the 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 Sopranos is those digressions, like all those kind of yeah. little moments the in private between characters that doesn't really affect like the the mafia whatsoever or like um the the goings on of the plot um really strengthen like your attachment to these characters and your understanding of these characters like the, I think one of the best scenes in the movie honestly is the scene with um uh Livia um and Tony when she makes him the hamburger in the kitchen yes Mm. And I think that's a great moment. It kind of explains their dynamic even further that, and because it's immediately following the part where um the school teacher tells Livia uh, about how, like Tony said, his greatest memory was the night that she came into bed and read him, yeah, read him that book, and like you see, Livia sort of feel love mm -hmm. for maybe maybe the first time, feeling, maybe. feeling love first for her ever. child, yeah, and then it immediately goes away, yeah, like she, yeah, it's <laughs> like she tries it for half a second, she goes from that to. How am I supposed to enjoy a Broadway musical when my children are smoking pot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it immediately gets Fucking replaced bitch. by her being angry that her children aren't exactly what they want her to be. <laughs> but I think the strength of that scene is because we saw, t we know Tony and um, and his mom's relationship from The Sopranos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's 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 again, it's sort of like 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 a private moment with those characters that do not really. Um, consequential to the plot but ultimately is consequential to the plot because Tony Soprano is created in these moments yeah we don't get the moments That's, to see where yeah. Dickie Simotisanti is created or Harold is created or uh, whatever like Junior is created I that in retrospect which is like if this is a movie it should stand on its own and this thing does not if you did not watch The Sopranos and you just watched this movie you'd be like what the is yeah, this? why would you care about any of this? Like, and I think that, that, that's ultimately an issue with a lot of these things is that, like, like if you're gonna make a movie, it it needs to stand on its own, but also it it has it has to serve two masters, and that's why I think a lot of the movies that are based on, um, based on television series, sort of. Ultimately... I don't I don't mind them not giving a shit, like about the people who didn't like like making something that. You know, this is coming out on HBO Max. If you love The Sopranos, you watch this. If you don't, fucking, it's it's not for you. No, for sure. I, I think that, yeah, you're making a Sopranos movie. It's, like, when people say, like, should I have watched The Sopranos to, yes, obviously. I mean, this is a Sopranos anyway. movie. Like, like should I watch, uh, you know, like, like I, I never understand that question. Like, if I didn't see this, if I didn't see the first four seasons, should I watch the fifth season? 
no, like unless you don't care <laughs> because like that's it's called like it's serial like we live in a linear time like like not in a linear time we live in linear time like like the events that happened prior will affect the events that happen now and in the future like obviously you should watch it but what I'm saying is I don't think even necessarily Sopranos fans are super satisfied because of those no. reasons so I'm saying like I, again it's serving those two masters it's, it's not able to stand alone as a movie in its own right and it doesn't it doesn't really feel like it's a it's an extension of the sopranos in a satisfying way it's like i, yeah. I know this is, this is sopranos adjacent but it doesn't feel like um like i never feel like a lot of those series like movies um i think the most effective like tv series movies are ones that kind of like don't necessarily have anything to do with the plot of either it's a prequel in a way that like if truly um just shows like a lot of a lot of tv movies often was like this was a movie a tv movie and now it's a series right yeah. this is setting up these mm-hmm. elements and then now okay let's explore this deeper or it's like um i, I, I don't really don't or, or or not even like um this is um uh, a totally separate thing it's a lot of times it's when like this movie has almost nothing to do with um it's a totally new thing like 21 jump street right 21 jump street the movie i think is a pretty successful comedy because you don't have to give a fuck about 21 jump street uh the series at all it's like it's like we're using these elements but it's like it's just a new yeah, thing just for a new time and, yeah. And a new, I, yeah i think it's very rare that um uh tv series are able to transition into movies because it's like this worked so well as a TV show, why, the only reason you're making it as a movie is because you're trying to capitalize on the fact of, like, okay, this is huge. We got to make a movie. Like, the I Simpsons think, movie. Like, I think this the movie... only thing... Sorry, go ahead, Slash. I was going to say, I think this movie could have been more successful at um, achieving the ideas it wanted. Like, because I think we could agree, like, the ambitions or the ideas they were going after weren't the issue with it. It's just, like, squeezing them into that space and the execution on some of them. But, like, if there was less of the characters that we know, like, maybe you don't need as many scenes where you show, like, I don't young, need to see young and, pussy, young yeah. Syl, young, young Pauly, and focus on some of the ideas. Because, like, uh, you, have you seen Mythic Quest at all? I've seen a little bit. The TV show? Yeah. Uh, season 1, Episode 5 does a standalone episode about uh, video game developers from the 90s who have no relation to anyone on the show. And it's just like a nice character piece about people, and it's only related to the show in the fact that they're in the same business. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of the best episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, going all so in on this. You like want to see like, total... like a Sopranos lower decks type of thing. Like, yeah, if it was just the the story of Dickie Moltisante and like Tony and Liv could still be there in the background and stuff, but like. Yeah, you don't have to shoehorn in as much. It's got to be focused. Much. It's got to yes. be. It. I think you made a great point. There are a lot of great ideas. I think all of it could work, but it's not. It's not focused enough, and it's not given enough time to breathe. It's like there's so. It's it's almost. It's almost like again, you should make a TV series. Like David Chase, you're good at making TV series. Like this is the thing that you do. And I know, like David Chase, famously uh, considered himself a sellout for working in TV. He wanted to make Sopranos a movie originally. <clears throat> um. He wanted to be a director, and he feels like uh, he kind of failed his dreams by being a TV show, uh, uh, a TV show creator. Like he worked on Rockford Files for a number of years. He worked on a lot of different TV shows, and ultimately, Sopranos is his masterpiece. But it's like 
this is your masterpiece because you're very good at making TV. There's very few people in history that could even stand up to you as a. And, you and you most changed of the, the medium. Who, who you, cre- you created. You changed <laughs> the medium to make it in a lot of ways more effective than movies. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, this is The Sopranos. The Sopranos, the TV show, is better than the they Sopranos movie in, could like, ever have hoped to be. Television, like yeah, yeah. The, it's like, the one thing that exists, the, the one thing that's better than it's ever been is TV. And it's so everything weird. else is horrible and Orwellian nightmare, but <laughs> television is high art now, and he is the cause. Yeah, and it's, it's so that's why it's so weird because this is the, the like like Stasha. This is the time period where, um, like the best version of a lot of stuff like is TV now. You know what I mean? Like this is so it's so weird that like this is when you choose to make a movie. I mean, he's made a movie before it wasn't a Sopranos movie, but it's like. The time period when you can... It's a movie called Not Fade Away. It came out in 2012, I believe. Um, huh. Gandolfini's in it. I guess it did, huh? <laughs> 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 uh, but I think that... The, I apologize for that. Joke. The fact that this period of time is when you chose to make a movie when this is the best time ever to make TV because of you yeah. is such an odd choice. <laughs> if they got like the same... like small limited series treatment is like sharp objects or pretty or beautiful big little lies big little lies there you go like that's the the perfect format for it and i'm sure this, hbo this would be like was, over the moon been, yeah they, they i'm sure they've been banging on his door for years and i, I know he's turned it down a, a number of times but it's like this is your moment like i think it's just I feel like, like everyone who's ever done something great it's like not what they fucking wanted to do it's no, so that's, that's like, very true. Like, yeah. listen, listen, John Carpenter is like, I just wanted to make Westerns and they would never let me. And yeah. Like, it's wild that he, he considers wa- himself a failure. That he wanted to make a, a mob movie out of the Sopranos when what he ended up making made mob movies almost irrelevant. Obsolete. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's been mob movies that came out after, but I have not been interested. Like as good as the as Scorsese is was as good as some people tell me the Irishman was I can't I can't do it anymore with mob movies I love the Irishman but I do think like it's it'll be few like there's a period of time where mob movies were like you could they're going to be a bunch and they're going to be a, a even even within this uh crop of movies there's going to be a bunch of good ones it it is very hard to make a, a like you said a, a tv show that would even compete with sopranos now because of all the reasons we we've outlined before like the exploration of these characters the the in-depth thing the like the kind of deconstruction of what like the myth of the mafia yeah. is so strong because of what tv allows you to do the time it, it gives you to to let it breathe and everything just such an odd choice to make this thing. I never think like like the Breaking Bad movie. I never saw it. El Camino because 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 even like sometimes um, it's I was, fine. I was listening to this thing. Uh, they're talking about uh, uh, listening to a podcast talking about Tony Bourdain. And um, this is not his original idea, but this is just the, f- the most recent person I heard say this. But he's like, uh, questions are more important than answers, right? And I think um, I think sometimes creators of stuff are in such a, a a rush to answer questions that they don't realize that like the ambiguity like if 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 david 
the, the number one chase, uh, question David Chase has gotten since mm-hmm. the panels ended is, did, did Tony die in the last scene? Did Tony, he's, like, he's like, it doesn't fucking matter. I'll never tell you because that's the point. The ambiguity is the point. And I think sometimes, unless you really that's have... That's what's fucking wrong with you. That's why everything Star Wars fucking sucks yeah. now. Because they're just answering questions. The hilarious thing about that doing. was at one point he was so exasperated. He was just like, fine, he's alive. Are you happy? In like, obviously the most <laughs> sarcastic way possible... As in, like, yeah, is that what you want to hear? And Just, yes, so many sure. people got excited about it. Again, <laughs> missing the point. It's like the fans of stuff <laughs> are the worst Breaking. people David to it, confirm. <laughs> it's so crazy that the fans of something are the worst people to like. They're the people who are least deserving to have that thing. Yes, because like, absolutely, like, um, like Star Wars fans. It's like everything is a perfect example. Like, the Last Jedi. Not, I'm not gonna say it's a perfect movie, but there's value to that movie because of what it tries to do. Not only does it try to expand what Star Wars is, everything that they complain about happens in that movie happens in Empire Strikes Back in some way, form, or fashion, and they hate it. They hate it that it's happening now. Like this isn't Star Wars. Like, like oh, uh, Luke is a kind of an asshole, and he's it, this is exactly who how yeah. Yoda was you in Empire Strikes Back. Like, Yoda when he first gets to that island, acting like a fucking dick. Like every like it's it's almost like. A beat for beat, kind of like just kind of changing, like a a, a, a palette swap of Empire yeah, Strikes Back. Yeah, the recluse. I'm surprised <laughs> more people didn't see it that way. It's, it seemed in the beginning. So, <laughs> am I making something again? Yeah, oh, yeah. so badly. Just, just, just take two on that thought. Uh. <laughs> You said I'm surprised more people didn't feel that way. I'm surprised more people didn't didn't take um, the Last Jedi the way you just described because that's the way I took it. It seems so obvious to me that like the Force Awakens was supposed to be aping the first Star Wars movie, and this one aped uh, Empire Strikes Back in tone. But it didn't didn't do it as as ham fistedly. Which I think was why it was lost on so many of the goobers yeah. who love those no, absolutely. movies. Absolutely, because <laughs> the nail that there. It's funny that you said I was going to bring this up earlier, but you wanted to talk about Sopranos. When you talked about the first time you saw this movie, you liked it, and you kind of, um, uh, you know, some things that you really like. There's some things you really like, and then the second time you saw it, you know, some things that you really didn't like. Yeah. I kind of had the opposite experience when I watched The Force Awakens. Cause I went to see it opening, opening Thursday night, not even like Friday. Opening Thursday night. Me and uh, fellow comedian Craig Taylor, and like everyone on all the super ham-fisted moments, like crowd servicey stuff, the Millennium Falcon shows up, all the crowd was cheering, and it's yeah, like that made me hate it. I I, I hated that movie. For, like I I couldn't understand. Like like are you idiots? I mean, first of all, like people were cheering when Harrison Ford. I said this on the podcast before, but people show cheered when Harrison uh, Harrison Ford showed up on a, in the movie, even though he was in the trailer. Like you know yes. he's in this. I don't even understand it. <laughs> but but every ham-fisted thing, like remember this from the earlier movies, they loved it and I was like this is not that's not that's not what's good about this all all right. I don't ever want to see first when I first saw it all that shit totally worked on me a hundred percent I was all in on Force Awakens the first time I saw it. And I remember being mad at you for not appreciating it. <laughs> I do remember that, and actually. It was, and we figured it out. It was because you didn't really have to live through, like, the prequels in the theater. In the same way, yeah, yeah. Like, you were kind of too young. And really, I was just, like, perpetuating a cycle of abuse. <laughs> it's like, you don't know how bad we had it when I was your age. <laughs> Yeah, and like all those things, like it really, like it, it, it was grating. Like I, I it, it was uncomfortable to sit through that. And then all the stuff that was like, I thought, like I thought everything that was good about the, 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 the Force Awakens truly was like 
the new stuff. Like, oh, what if a stormtrooper like defected? Like, who's that guy underneath the helmet? Who's like, like, what if um, the only people who were Jedi weren't like Skywalker? Like, there's so many interesting ideas at play. Like, what if um, the new Darth Vader was basically a cosplayer of Darth Vader? Like, he doesn't understand. Like, he's he's just trying to be something that he's not. He's like a, a he's a wounded teen who's like trying his hardest to like imitate something that like sort of like how like. It's, Sopranos fans are trying to imitate something that they saw on TV that they don't even really understand. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like Kylo Ren is such a great character because he's like, he's like, like, you weren't there for this, dude. Like, you're trying to be Darth Vader. You don't have to be. But yeah, so then but the second time I saw it, I I saw it with a, you know, a different crowd, and I was able to appreciate certain moments. Like I liked it way more the second time. And now I just think it's fine. But um my my whole point in saying that is um uh the fan service stuff for fans is like the stuff that they love the most. And I think that's the worst, oftentimes the worst stuff in these things. Like the moment, and I think it, and I think it could have been done well, the moment when the Sopranos theme um, uh, plays, when when they do the pinky swear at the end of the movie, it made me so angry. Yeah. Uh, like, like, because cause it, like, cause the way they, they do the needle drop is like it's supposed to be like, this is the moment you've all been waiting. Like, I wasn't waiting for this it's at like, all. This yeah. is not what this what movie was about. What movie do you think we just watched yeah. where this is satisfied? A guy doing a <laughs> pinky swear. <laughs> I'll tell you what move, what moment really infuriated me on second watch that I did not even notice the first time. And that's like uh, when Tony meets baby Christopher. Yeah. And they do like. Oh, that sucks so the, bad. The gimmick, which was like a joke on Friends back in the day where like every time the the baby comes near him, it starts crying. But then this little old Italian lady goes like, some, some babies are born with memories from the other side or knowledge from the other side or something like that. And it's like, are you trying to say this old bitch? knows how Christopher is going to die and she's like vaguely alluding to it right yeah. now. It's just so dumb. Is she a fortune teller? It's so dumb and it and it doesn't work specifically. And why does that make sense if she doesn't know Christopher is going to get murdered by Tony? And it's like, it's, like, it's one of those things well, where it's like, hey, it's, you want to talk about gimmicks? Are, let's, let's not forget the fact that this whole story is being told to us by Christopher from hell. <laughs> <laughs> I make that very clear at the beginning. I do like that though. Well, I, well and, 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 but that's also why this. I think this could that moment could work if they didn't have the lady say maybe the baby because like as a Sopranos fan, you know Tony kills Christopher. Yeah. So like if he touches, if he if he holds Christopher and the baby's crying, it's like it's like a it's kind of just like a what's like, this is kind of weird. But as an audience, we're like okay, like maybe if it's he a, started it's crying foreshadowing. and Tony had like a moment. Where he got angry about Christopher crying while he was holding, because that would that would track. Yeah, but to like make this big fuss about it yeah, was to, to so cheesy. Yeah, it's, it's so on the nose to, to like to say like that kind of is a throwaway thing some old baddie Italian woman would say. Like I no I have for sure in my family that say things like that, but it's not. It wouldn't be like a big profound moment. Yeah, in like that in that it. context, they would, they wouldn't say it yeah. though. Like. She's basically saying this baby knows something about you that it hates. Yeah, it, she's she's basically <laughs> speaking directly to the audience, which sucks. Like, don't yeah. talk to me. Like, I know, I know, Christopher dies at the hands of Tony, not only because I saw the show, but because Christopher says it at the beginning of the movie. I don't need you to say it. Basically, say it again. You know what I mean? And um, but going back to uh the the music, uh, the needle drop moment. I think that could work if this was a movie we were watching. Again, it goes back to like. 
They're trying to do three movies in one. They're trying to do the Harold McBrayer story. They're trying to do the Dickie Multisani story. They're trying to do- yeah, if, if it was the movie we all hoped it would be, which is like the story of like Tony's introduction into the mafia. Instead, you get like 12 minutes of that scattered throughout the two hour movie. Yeah, it's like- um, And then the very end treats it like it's been that movie the whole time. Yeah, it's like, this is yeah. not what we- This is not the movie we were watching at all. This was not like, we were not watching- there were moments of the Tony stuff, but it, this is not like the the rise of Tony Soprano movie. So when that happens, and it's like, remember this theme song? Here it is. This is what kicks it off. I was like, this, yeah, it's it's dumb. I just I just felt like I was back at Joker's Wild. Yeah, <laughs> the Joker <laughs> show about to start. Dude, I remember. So this is okay. It's kind of inside baseball thing, but like the the comedy club that used to exist in New Haven, um, Joker's Wild. Uh, when a show was going to start, like they're like kind of like this is just like. Starting the show music was the Sopranos theme music, uh, like uh, acapella. But every every comic used to always comment on that, and I just thought they were just like uh, just saying that. I, I I don't know why I thought they were lying about that. And then I remember the first time I saw the Sopranos, like oh shit, did they like this this club run by Italians was so on the nose that their let's start the show music was the Ital uh, was the Sopranos, Sopranos theme song. Theme. It was like. It was just as ham-fisted as it happened in the movie. Like it just felt the exact same. Like, oh my, are we really doing this? To be this? fair, uh, they knew their audience. No, one hundred percent. That's fair. You're you're on a com- uh, you you had a comedy club on in Little Italy. I guess that's the place to uh, to have it. But yeah, um, I th- yeah, I th- so, so many of those moments where it's like, uh, um, trying to we. We're already here. You know I mean, we're already Sopranos fans. We're already here. You don't have to try to like make us like this any more than we do, other than by making a good movie. I think that's really like, all I really want out of this is a good movie. And I think even a lot of people who enjoyed the movie, I feel like you like it because you like the Sopranos and you want to like it. But if you watch this movie divorced of Sopranos stuff, like if this was a movie that came out on HBO Max, it wouldn't even get no one even care any bit about it. It wouldn't. It wouldn't matter. It's just like it's so. Again, inessential. It, it doesn't really feel like uh, it's doing anything for anyone. It's almost like a Netflix production, how stupid and not needing to be there it is. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it, it's it's one of those things. Like, I mean, I listened to a, a, another podcast, and they talked about... um. So David Chase was initially supposed to direct it, and then he had some sort of family tragedy, and he wasn't able to direct it. So Alan Taylor, who directed many episodes of The Sopranos, um, directed... Uh, Third, the Dark World, which we don't talk about, but also he directed. Um, I think he directed a number of episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, uh, he ended up directing it, and I think which th- we also don't talk about anymore. Yeah, so yeah. maybe <laughs> not a great choice. <laughs> we well, yeah, what I was going uh, to say is that uh, what they said on this other podcast is like it ultimately, even though he has a, a history with the show, it ultimately ended up feeling like a work for hire job rather than like a passion project, which it was for David Chase. Um, where I feel like if like in the right hands, like the right uh, vision for it could have like tightened up a lot of things that didn't work about it. Even though I'm sure you know David Chase had Final Cut because it was you know his uh, thing. I think a better, a stronger yeah, direction. How much better it really would have been though. Like I, I think this whole thing was just ill conceived. No, I think it's ill conceived. What I'm saying is like I think a, a strong director, right, will be able to say like, okay, we don't need any of this. We don't need any of this, and we can kind of we can shape a good movie out of like the elements that you've given me. You know what I mean? Like a like a not necessarily just use Scorsese mm. as because he's kind of the catch all gangster guy, gangster movie guy. I think he can kind of like find a better movie in in with these same elements by. Um, even even or even if not that, just it be being a better made movie. There's some good shots in this movie that I like, but like I think like just 
it's it's very pedestrian. Like you don't you're not gonna sit back and like remember that beautiful shot in Many Saints in Newark when they, they were looking over. Like you know, what I mean? it, it, it's kind of like it's drab. It's mm-hmm. not it's not mm-hmm. very attractive. To, like it's not very beautiful to look at. It's not very um. There's not too many scenes where you're like okay, like it's it's very competent, which is like what you want from a TV director, but not necessarily from a movie director. Like it's uh, and again, that's why it feels work for hire. Like, it feels very like um. Like, like the like the action scenes, like uh, the shootout at that bar with the the face off between Harold and Dickie. I think it was good, but it wasn't like transcendent. It's not like one of the all time great gangster movie shootouts. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like that was good. You know, it served no, the movie. Absolutely not. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fine, and would have been great if it went anywhere or led to a conclusion of any kind. Which again, it did not. That story straight up doesn't wrap up. A story we didn't want that you shoved down our throats that you don't end. I just. Mm. Yeah, and it, that it, part it, of the movie just makes me angry. It feels especially weird, going back to my point about black characters not being a big part of the Sopranos, other than as like the butt of a joke or like kind of a, in a racist fashion. Is because it's not like when we get to the Sopranos, um, this kind of like in the background they talk about how like um, like you know Newark is not really like an Italian place anymore. You know what I mean, like there's the mafia stuff is happening, but like Newark is black by the time the nineties and two thousands runs around. But it's like it's not like there are black characters who are um kind of active within the plot of the show. So it's, it doesn't feel like this like, okay, this is how this came to be. You know what I mean? Like this is how like the like like the black family that they're facing off like if there's like a kind of black mob, right? In the if there was a <clears throat> If there was a black mob in the Sopranos, right, that they were facing off against, it's like this was born out of Harold McBrayer's. Like, oh, that makes sense because now we can again. If this is a movie about kind of explaining where this all this stuff started, but we don't have any of that. Like, there's literally no kind of like real black presence other than like Uncle Ben, uh, Meadows' boyfriend, Omar shows up in an episode. Don't forget Mad Genius. Yes, yeah, when he's getting rolled through the hospital. he got shot seven times. No, 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 no. That's that was the one that um tries to fuck Adriana. Oh yeah, yes, on. yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking about the one when uh, Tony's <laughs> he wants in the to hospital. Sue Hesh. Yeah, oh, yeah. Is Stash still here? Oh, there he is. There yeah, is. I just can't hear you really. So oh, just kinda shit. my bad. Sorry. Chilling. I tried talking closer. No, it's uh, Stash had a headphone oh. issue. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Try switching seats, Stash. Um, or just using the other headphones. Um. The uh, yeah, or, or yeah, the, uh, the one I was thinking about was the when Tony's in the hospital, um, after he gets shot by Uncle June, and um, like he's like basically complaining about like getting shot and it sucks. And she's like, a rapper gets rolled through the hospital, and she's like, oh, that's uh, so and so, he got shot seven times, but uh, he didn't hit his pancreas. It's like, like the only time black characters come up are like, are two kind of like. In a racist fashion, or like absolute, as a joke. absolute archetype, like yeah, like very, yeah, very stereotypical. Yeah. Like he's a rapper and he got shot. Like that other rapper who got shot in real life. If he, you know what I mean, like it's like so it doesn't feel but like if uh, that is their world though. Like they do. No, I, I, I'm not complaining about it. Exclude black people, you know, like that's... no, one hundred percent. I think I, I, I think at best it's a commentary on that. At worst, it's it's an excuse to say, well, that's why we didn't do it because they don't they wouldn't, but. I'm saying just specifically for the Harold, like I don't care about this. Like uh, you know, whatever. Any old art is going to have an issue where you're like this is problematic and you just got to get over it, or whatever. If you want to enjoy it, but I think specifically for, just for the Harold McBrayer point, because there isn't a black presence in the show, there isn't like a black gang that they face off against. There isn't like a black gang that kind of you know because like the whole thing is like Harold McBrayer was part of Dickie Mostasanti's gang, and then he kind of like like I'm gonna go do my own thing. But there is no own thing in The Sopranos. There is no like 
like black gang that they face like they clash against. So it doesn't even this like not only in the in the in in the movie it doesn't matter, exactly, but even in the, yeah. the entire Sopranos extended universe, this matters not at all. It's so such a weird choice to do that. And I think it is it's born out of um David Chase uh talks about like he his inspiration initially when he wanted to do this it wasn't even supposed to be a Sopranos movie he was talking about, he wanted to do a movie about the riots he wanted to do a story about um uh basically uh three guys who tried either they tried to go to Vietnam or they draft dodged or something like that and then they ended up having to be in the National Guard in like in Newark when this riot was happening and then I think you know HBO probably approached him and then he was just like oh, I guess I can kind of fold that into this but that would have been a more interesting movie to me than this because. It would feel like yeah, all totally. that that I mean, other that sounds stuff. Great, but I think I think honestly I think <laughs> I think he's like uh, he's a prisoner of his own creation. You know what I mean? I think HBO just wants Soprano shit from him, and he's like, "This is my way to kind of get the you know a little bit of both." You know what I mean? Like one yeah. for me, one for them in the same project. But he didn't get to do shit with it. Really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's yeah, not like, like it's not effective. Jack McBrayer's story. There is interesting shit. Jack there, McBrayer. And <laughs> he just totally said Jack. He just said Jack McBrayer like Kenneth from Jack- Thirty Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it fold Kenneth into Soprano. That, that yeah. would work for me. No, but <laughs> Harold McGrayer's story it, it does have interesting elements. And like, I would totally watch a movie or series about like this guy who's like trying to establish like a black crime organization that can compete against the Italians and like his rise up and, and all that. Like, that would be crazy interesting. Just like, don't throw half of that into a Sopranos movie. Yeah, it's very half-assed. Like, and it's like, because I mean, that's yeah. um, like Frank Lewis, Frank Lucas, who's a real life um, uh, gangster from uh, Harlem. He's, he's, he's in the movie and that's kind of his story. It's like, he kind of has to build a crime organization that rivals uh, the New York mafia in the seventies. That's what American gangster is about yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but he's in this movie. He's the guy who um, Harold gets that gun from when he goes to like he's like a horse track or something. Yep. Like in uh, but yeah, he's got he, the fur on. Yeah, he's got the yeah. He's uh, that's an interesting story. That's like in its own right. That's an interesting story. The Harold story would be interesting to see that happen, and you don't get any of that because this movie doesn't really actually care about Harold. It doesn't really care about any of these <laughs> yeah. things. Like it's so weird. Like again, that fucking moment when the, the Soprano movie plays is just like this was not a Tony Soprano movie. It's such a weird choice. It's such a weird choice to end the movie on that moment. That seems like some big person at HBO's note. Yeah. Like, they, they needed to put their stamp on the movie somehow, and it's just like, you know what this needs at the end? The fucking Sopranos music kicks yeah, in. He's he's like, fucking, yeah, he's fucking, he just does a line of coke whatever, off the desk, dude. and he's like, <laughs> he's like, and then we finish it with the Sopranos. If, that was, if that's what gets me this pile of money, fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's such, yeah, it's it's a it's really odd uh, choice, because it's like, um... Yeah, it's like and, and again, like I think I think there's a lot of good elements. The, the framing of the movie with the the the, the Chris thing, uh, like I think that's an interesting choice. I think it is in line with David Chase's kind of like fascination with like dreams and uh, like kind of slightly supernatural stuff that he does in The Sopranos. But and, and again, it just doesn't come together. But um, like, do you think there's ever been a, a movie um, that worked that was like a sequel or a prequel to a series that wasn't like a like jumping off point, like Mash or something? Like I don't, I just, Brady I, movie. You say what? Brady Bunch movie, very Brady sequel. <laughs> I was I I tried to bring them up earlier. They those are the only things I can think of that fly in the face of what you're saying about TV based movies. Yeah, I can't. They totally work. I can't think of any besides the Breaking Bad that we already mentioned earlier. I'm looking at a list. 
was looking at a list of movies earlier, and like, yeah, it, it, I was, it, it's, it's pretty abysmal. Like, it's, it, uh, there's really very few. Oh, GI Joe the movie, Transformers but, the movie. <laughs> but again, <laughs> those are like, it's like those it, are both arguably better TV to movie moves than many Saints of Newark. One hundred percent. But I think it's because they earn the fact <laughs> that they're a movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's like okay, I think the problem with a lot of these series. When they try to become movies, like, why does it need to be a movie specifically? And like, yeah. and does it fit within the confines of what a movie is? Like, like because I think so- something like a an action hero cartoon can become a movie because it's already well, they, they, operating they, on that level. They need to be mm-hmm. a movie because there's a lot of people who don't want to dedicate the time to it. No, for sure, that a real thing trans- would take. Transformers movie had fucking Orson Welles in it, man. Yeah, that's wild. I think that was his last performance. Yeah, but he, again, I think oh, Josh Levinson's in the house. Um, I think it, I think it earns the fact that it's a movie by the the I mean Optimus Prime dies in a Transformers movie. You know what I mean? That's a big moment that like it and it couldn't happen in the TV series because the TV series is so much about like like violence that happens that doesn't actually end up mattering because the plot is basically reset at the end of every episode of a, a kid show anyway in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think uh, the reason a lot of those movies fail is because it's like it doesn't need to be a movie. It's just it's just like an extended episode with a bigger budget, rather than um like a like an essential way, like the only way to tell the story is through a movie. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't feel like it's yeah. an extension of the series. It's usually like okay, this is kind of a thing that doesn't really even matter to the series, but it's like this is the only reason why we we have to make up a a, a plot point that matters for it to be a movie, rather than like okay, this was all leading to this movie in, in from the beginning. You know what I'm saying? It's always like a it's never like it's never like The Sopranos was being made, and he's like, and at the end of it, we have to do a movie about Dicky Morisanti. He's like, he made the show. Yeah, it's not like, and then, it's not like The Simpsons where you're the whole time you're like, when are they gonna do it? Yeah, when are they gonna when is when when are they gonna escape Simpsons? Because when are they gonna escape, escape Springfield? Because it's put in a dome. Like, it's not like the dome has been lingering over the the series for this all like for twenty five seasons or whatever. And it's like, when is that dome gonna drop? And then they finally drop. That movie stunk. Oh my god, the Simpsons movie was bad. No, dis- you guys disagree? Never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, d- yes. I mean it. It wasn't as bad as it could have been it should have been a complete failure but it's like why did they make this i don't understand yeah it, 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 again it, it, it's just a cash grab i mean it's what Josh said about like it's it's a reason to uh it's 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 to justify you know to get people who wouldn't dedicate the time to watch um an episode you know 60 episodes of a show to watch something because like okay it's one big he, thing you know what might be one of the best TV to movie jumps of all time? The South Park movie. Oh, yeah. They just took South Park and they're like, we're going to make a musical. We know what a musical is. We know the beats of a musical. We're going to do that, but with South Park. That's a great yeah, point. That was, that was like, great. They had an idea. You know? it, well, that's it. It had an idea. And it again, it earned being a movie. It's like it. The, like every bit of it is like this needed to be a movie. You know what I mean? Like the whereas the, the Simpsons movie, the whole time they're just like scrambling at an uh, trying to have an idea. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's basically just like a bunch of different episode ideas that wouldn't have worked. Like just kind of, it's like it's none of it is good. Like it's it's like it's like this would this wouldn't have worked as an episode because it's not very good. It doesn't work as a movie because it's movie sized, but it's not a like this is not like I never wanted any of this to happen. Like I this is never a scenario I wanted to see any of these characters in. And like that can be effective when you like you kind of challenge the audience. But like it, it didn't even feel like a challenge. It just felt like it's just like let's just get as many old Simpsons writers as we can to participate in this and we're gonna make a lot of money because we're this is the one of the biggest properties 
in a history I, of TV. I, I knew Many Saints of Newark was in trouble within the first five minutes where they set up the stepmom porn story. Yeah. Hey, I want to. <laughs> I want to make an observation about this movie before we finish, uh, and I want to make sure I get this in. But Ray Liotta sounds exactly like Artie Lang now, and it made me sad. <laughs> I thought he was good, though. I thought he was very good as the <laughs> twin brother. Which Ray Liotta? Uh, dead one. Dead Ray Liotta sounded exactly like Artie Lang. Like the, the over-the-top, like, I'm I'm dying because I'm fucking... Yeah, same, same like, laugh. Same. Yeah, like the so the high I cholesterol Ray Liotta is what I call him because he, he was just, like, in very bad shape. This movie is such a mishmash of missed opportunities and, like, things that were underexplored. One of the biggest ones was the whole fucking Ray Liotta thing. Think about how crazy that is. You murder your father, and then you go see another version of your father you've never met before in a cage from time to time. <laughs> that is so heady and insane and, like, kind of underplayed. Yeah, and I think um, I listened to another podcast, and they were talking about um, was, like, in, in, a, in, a, in the show – they probably would have explored that to a degree where you kind of been like, you'd have been wondering, is this, is he actually visiting? Is is there an uncle? Is he really visiting this guy? Yeah, or is it like a dream? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it kind of like a, like a kind of ethereal thing where it's like, this is Dickie uh, reckoning with his, this, like uh, his, his, uh, his actions by kind of like imagining that he, there's a brother that he has to, he has to go talk to, to kind of like work out his issues about his father and his life. But in the show, it's kind it's of just, a weird Melfi stand-in. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, in in the, in the movie, it's kind of just weird. I was looking at um, was the Deadwood movie any good? Stash, did you see? Oh it? yeah, it was really good. So that's one that's good. Um, and I think the Fire Serenity. I think Firefly. Yeah, Serenity, Serenity was, was great. a very like on its own right. It would just be a great action movie. But yeah. as a, I think it's a very well and a good um kind of extension of. Did Firefly the movie the have Bokeen Woodbine or was a show? I think it's the movie that had Bokeen Woodbine. Okay. Uh, Woodbine. Yeah, I just remember he killed it on one of the two. Serenity. This uh, this is another movie called Serenity that came out in like 2016 and it's awful. Uh, but uh, the yeah, it was a terrible remake. Uh, <laughs> didn't have nothing to do with space. Yeah, the Josh Whedon Serenity is a very uh enjoyable uh movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's, there's not very many because like, again, I feel like Josh Whedon. Because one, Josh Whedon was behind it. You know, what I mean, he was like uh, the 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 engine of that movie. And two, I f- he I feel like he had a reason to make a movie like this. Need like this is the culmination of all this stuff. Yeah. Versus um like the studio saying, "You ever think about making a movie?" You know what I mean? Like that's what it feels like with the uh, with this one. Um, any stray thoughts? I thought Vera Farmiga was very good as Livia, uh, as as Tony Ma. I thought she yeah, was excellent incredible. because she was kind of. That's not how she sounds at all, like in real life as a as a person. But she does a good impression of, um, I can't remember the actress that plays Livia in the original Sopranos. But um, what I like too, was without feeling like it's uh over the top and like doing an impression, it's just like it's kind of just like um channeling that same accent. And, and she was good. The dude, I always forget his name, but the dude who played Uncle June, I thought stole the show in yeah, terms great. of mimicking the character. And um. While he didn't look like him, like, like straight up, the dude who played Young Pussy had a way where he did like, he hunched his back and had this mouth gaping open, like kind of dumb ass look on his face that like 
was so picture picture perfect for like uh painkiller era pussy on the show. <laughs> yeah. He looked I mean, like he shouldn't pussy. be there, yeah. He looked like per uh pussy, yeah, exactly. But he looked like him zonked out on perks so so perfectly. Wait, maybe I'm just going back to this for anything. I don't think Bokeem Win was ever in that. I know Chiwetel Ejiofor was in the movie. Uh, maybe he was in the sh- maybe Bokeem Win was in the show, but Chiwetel Ejiofor was great in the movie of uh, Serenity. But um, just going back to <laughs> Many Saints of Newark, I just wanted to get that point across. Just a shout out. I, I love Chiwetel Ejiofor. He's a great he's a great actor. Many Saints of Newark. Um, any other thoughts? I got a couple things on my phone here. Um, yeah, I thought Ray Liotta was uh, it was an interesting performance. I thought it was they pulling double duty was good. <laughs> I, I wrote that in my notes. Ray Liotta is terrifying, parentheses, not the character, the man. Yo, no, absolutely. That's yeah. <laughs> he is. For sure. It, I think He's I wrote that to look before at. you see prison Ray Liotta. And you're like, okay. Because for a while I was like, is this just Ray Liotta now? Is he just, like Stash was saying, yeah, he kind of looks, seems like Artie Lang. <laughs> is he just like in a bad way? But like, okay, no, he is actually acting. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Alessandro Nivola who plays Dickie was very good. Um, he's a good actor. You don't see him in a lot of stuff. Uh, at least not in a, a lot of them, uh, major American movies and stuff, but he's a very good actor. I thought, um, uh, Corey Stoll was great as junior soprano, uh, as uncle June. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, he's the best in my opinion. Yeah. I Followed mean, junior is obviously one of my yet. favorite characters from the show. Also, I mean, and he he was very underutilized, but um, what's his name? James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini. Is it Michael? Michael? Yeah, yeah. I I thought he killed it. I thought he, I thought he was very I, good. I totally bought him as a teenage Tony Soprano. That part where uh where he pisses the mom off because he starts singing that song, looking at the pill pamphlet. Like, yeah, God, that was so. That was like hauntingly James Gandolfini. Well, yeah, he and like, Tony does that so much on the show, like annoys people with his little songs. Yeah, and he has like that kind of like a. It's like I mean, it's, it's the reason why I'm I'm sure the overwhelmingly the reason that they they chose him is because he has, you know, he looks like him in in, in a lot of ways, but also um, mm. th- there's certain like facial tics that they have that Tony would do in the show where it's like um, yeah. Uh, like it's like, and he has that because no one else could really have that. Like, cause it's just, just it's just like being the offspring of somebody. You're gonna have certain, you know, pick up certain qualities. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, like it's like there's like certain little smirks he does and certain little kind of looks he gives where it's like, which is why Gandolfini was so great because he had those kind of moments and he taps into it very well. It's and it's a it's a gargantuan task uh to to ask someone to like play the most beloved character in the history of TV. <laughs> uh, and you're 20 and you don't act. Really, and uh, you didn't even watch the show before we cast you in this movie. Because oh, it's, it's, it's your too dad painful who died to, yeah. tragically way too young, and we're judging you. We're yeah, judging yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> um, incredible, like yeah, just like even if he like, I thought he was very good, but even if he was just like half of that, it, it's just a, an incredible feat. Just because, like you said, like your fucking your dad died. You never watched the show that he was in because <laughs> it's too painful to watch him on screen. You don't act. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I did read that. So it's like, yeah, I think he was. I thought it was excellent uh, on just as a performance, but also um, under he, those. He captures the, the warmth of Tony Soprano because, like, Tony's always a surprisingly warm character on the surface. You know, he has his like animal affinity and stuff, and like, which is Tony, why he, that comes through in his concern for his mother. You know, but yes. then 
the the switch to violence is like just the way James Gandolfini did it too. It's so good because I mean that's one of the reasons why Tony like it's it. It's one of the reasons ultimately why the Sopranos works and a lot of those things work in in ways that like imitators don't is because it understands that like painting this guy as just purely evil is not not only doesn't work um as a story element but also is not true to what a human being is like like I know like like people who are like live like are in the streets and shit like some of the like the, the most violent people i know are some of the funniest people i know you know what I mean? like they they like they they or like they love like to <laughs> to treat people like like they were like sociopaths they, are charming yeah like they'll come around they'll just buy something for everyone it's like oh like uh like i know gangsters they'll just like like when they show up on the block they're like yo somebody go to the store and get something to drink for everybody it's like you didn't have to do that like it's just they, well, they love that feeling of like you know adoration but it's like it, it, genuinely they feel good to like to to treat people like so I think Tony is so Stash, who was that guy who was that guy at Joker's Wild that would pull the knife tricks Indio, Indio. yeah that guy was hilarious I'm sure he killed people <laughs> maybe we should bleep out saying his name on the show now <laughs> I mean I told the whole story of the first time he did the uh the uh knife trick to me on Josh's podcast at this same studio. <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding. I don't think one. I'm one thousand percent sure Indio is neither still alive nor a listener of this podcast. So I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, there's no way he's got a podcast out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's not. He's, I listen on Podbean. You give away my trick. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think um, I think that was another great quality of like Don Draper and Mad Men was that like there's moments where like Don was like just like like. Like Don's relationship with Joan was always one of my favorites because like he was the one of the only guys who didn't try to fuck Joan. Like yeah. you know what I mean, like wasn't like wasn't and like a, a, it's a not because total... he was a good guy. It was because he didn't need to. Yeah, unlike some of those other guys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I mean, like, like Don had some of those moments where like, oh, this is actually a, like he's trying. You know, I mean? like he had moments where it's like, like underneath some of this, like he's a he's a bad guy ultimately. Yeah, but like. There's moments of like charm and beyond charm, but like uh, one of my favorite episodes is when uh, Joan gets served the divorce papers and throws the plane at the secretary, and then Don takes her up, grabs her by the arm, and is like, "We're, we're leaving. Let's go." Yeah, she's Let's like, go "I don't have my date. jacket." He put, he gives her his jacket. They go get some drinks, test drive a Jaguar. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and we're not going to turn this a Madman podcast, but one of my favorite episodes, especially since the podcast is like over now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just, I was just gonna. Just, is this the is this the daughter of Mad Men boys? It, it needs to be. I, I still want to do that podcast. That's, uh, that should I, be our sign off. Is to do the uh, uh, the song again though. Yeah, that's how we got to sign off. Yeah, I'm not gonna get into it. The fucking the green dress is a great episode because it plays on Don trying to be a good guy, but also ultimately he's not doing it for good altruistic reasons. He's trying yeah. to prove a point to the jaguar because it's a blow to his ego if they get it. Yeah, cheating. So um. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, those are the final thoughts of many things in Newark. Uh, Dan calls it a B plus or a B minus, I think you said. Uh, I would call it a C at best, C minus. Um, I'll probably never watch it again. Uh, David Chase, just do another thing, make another series. Um, you're one of the best people to ever, one of the best things that ever happened to TV, but uh, movies, maybe there's a reason that you ended, didn't end up making movies in Before the first place. Before we wrap up, I, I just want to call out one, you know, people, the number one criticism of this movie is like, it did, didn't have the humor of The Sopranos, which it kind of did in moments, definitely not enough, but I do want to shout out to the line when um, 
Ray Liotta is yelling at his wife for hanging the douchebag. Oh, yeah, yeah. In <laughs> the, the shower. He's like, does the Venus de Milo have a douchebag? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's classic Sopranos. Yeah. That's a good point. Though. Like, the Sopranos is so, and Mad Men as well, are, were so funny. I think uh, somebody said uh, when those two shows were on TV, they were both the best dramas and the best comedies on TV at the same time. And I think that's true. And I think, um, again, imitators of it don't really key in on that. They, they try to be too over, like, like this is all grimy and mean all the time. And it's like, that's not what the show is. No. But, um, yeah, it, it, this movie, yeah, it could have used more humor. It's very gray. I don't like the, the filter they have over it. It looks very, like, I don't know. It just, yes, I, I wrote that down, too. Why is this movie so blue-gray? Yeah, it, it it's not attractive to look. It's, it's, it's upsetting. It's not. It's, it's like, I don't make know. it look like the Sopranos. Yeah, only dude. everything's newer. Yeah, yeah, with it's, better it's cameras, <laughs> with movie cameras instead of TV cameras. Um, huh. Yeah, but uh, that's that. Um, thanks for tuning in to the festival audience. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Dan and Stasha. You guys, anything, got anything you guys want to plug? Watch Mad Men. <laughs> yes, uh, watch read Mad Men. The hard times. Yeah, Dan is. Uh, one of the funniest people I know, and also like the funniest oh, writer I know, more, like more, straight more. up. Go, keep going, keep going. <laughs> like, like no, um, Dan writes for oh, the Hard yeah. Times, which is uh, a humor site, um, uh, sort of in the vein of the Onion, and uh, it's sort of like the Onion, but with a punk rock twist. It's like the Onion, but for people who rent rooms instead of apartments. <laughs> <laughs> which I include myself. <laughs> that is excellent. Um, but yeah, he's one of he writes. <laughs> constantly uh like weekly he sends like he makes these articles and it's like this is the funniest thing i've ever seen and uh it, oh stop it's it. no, no stop. truly more, uh more, you're the best more, writer more. I've, I've ever i've ever come across it's, it's i need this it's, it, it hurts me <laughs> so uh check out uh dan rice on the hard times he's a, he's a writer and uh editor over there and um stash anything you said just madman watch Mad yeah Men. watch madman um <laughs> i'm Mad- yeah i want to plug madman too i guess i'll uh Finally, just have you not watched Mad Men? It's really good. <laughs> it's so good. I'm gonna plug Mad Men as it's well. <laughs> definitely available. I'm pretty sure you can find it for free. You can watch it point. on just... Amazon Prime. It used to be on Netflix. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. You just it's have to watch IMDb, it. Yeah, it's like, on IMDb. Yeah, it's on IMDb channel, so it has commercials. But uh, yeah, or you could just buy every season <laughs> yeah. like me and watch them. You know what? Mad Men is one of the few shows that is actually enhanced by watching it with commercials. Because of the way they break down advertising. It like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I found that it, like, I I imagine pitching the ads I was seeing. Like, I, I wonder, yeah, that had to be, like, a, a, a big thing in advertising at the time. Like, what adverti- what ads are we going to play during Mad Men? You know what I mean? Like, like this is the show. <laughs> like, you got to hit a certain standard. Um, but, yeah, I want to plug Mad Men as well. I want to also plug uh, Read the Room at People Get Ready Books on 119 Welly Avenue in New Haven, October 27th. Uh, got a great lineup. We got, got Kareem Blue. We got Mo Musa. We got BJ Quagan. We got oh, Kathy Geronimi. Um, and Andrew Manning. It's going to be a fun show. Uh, and, uh, yeah, come down. Ten bucks. It's going to be great. Um, also, I'm going to be – just check follow my Instagram, uh, Lowbrow Sean. I'm going to post more – Show dates. And uh, that's that. Next week, we are probably going to talk about uh, No Time to Die, the new, the final uh, bit of the Daniel Craig era of James Bond movies. Um, 
And uh, I know I've been calling the Summer International Film Festival, and I haven't really talked about any international movies at all. But that's coming after No Time to Die. We're gonna start. No, getting... No Time to Die is Ooh. a British production. The productions are uh, based in England. Like, if you ever do Umbrellas of Cherbourg, no, I'm just, your guy. I was gonna talk to you about that. Yes, that's happening for sure. And you are the guest. Um, and Dan, uh, would love to have you on a guest as, as often as possible. Absolutely. Anytime you gotta. Yes. Yeah, so come on. Uh, that's that. Uh, and as we say at the end of every episode, cut. Fuck you. Oh, sorry. Made it <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed your sign off was fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>